William Penn, one of the country's earliest advocates of democracy and religious freedom, as well as the founder of the province of Pennsylvania, once stated, humility and knowledge in poor clothes excel pride and ignorance in costly attire. This simple declaration of truth stands in stark condemnation to the weeks of arrogance and pride we've seen spewing from our designer-clothed politicians. It makes us question how we've gotten to this place, and it, and it begs the final question, who is all this really serving? As I watched the conclusion of the State of the Union Address, I was stunned by the response of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. The President, Donald Trump, was finishing his address with final remarks reflecting on the majesty of America, the tenacity and endurance of its citizens. And the Speaker, meanwhile, stood and began to methodically rip each page of the prepared copy of the dress she had been presented by the president. As you can imagine, as was most likely intended, there was a resounding moment of shock that rocked the auditorium and those that viewed this throughout the nation. Commentators and pundits either claimed that they had never seen anything so disrespectful and petty or they praised what they saw as a singularly heroic act. Personally, I can honestly say I've never seen anything like this in my entire 68 years. Within 48 hours, however, the offended president fired back with his own anger and animosity at an equally significant and honored venue, the National Prayer Breakfast. However, these actions were not isolated occurrences. There was something far more insidious that was at work. These incidents can initially be attributed to the following series of events. On December 18, 2019, the president had been impeached by a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives via a party-line vote. On Tuesday, the 4th of February, 2020, he delivered the State of the Union Address, where Speaker Pelosi had displayed her disdain. On Wednesday, the following morning, February 5th, the President had been found not guilty of an impeachable offense by the Republican majority in the Senate, again via a party-line vote with the exception of one Republican senator. The National Prayer Breakfast occurred on the following morning, Thursday the 6th. At this event, which was originally purposed for seeking unity and God's blessing on our nation, the president used its platform to publicly and powerfully attack his critics and accusers, some of which were seated on the same dais with him. This was quickly followed by a live White House East Room speech where he pulled few punches while berating his opposition 
and taking a victory lap over the Senate's decision to acquit him. Meanwhile, Speaker Pelosi used her weekly telecast briefing to fire back with her own commensurate passion and anger. Depending on your cable news network of choice, these events either constituted a new low in American politics or a courageous stand for justice on behalf of the American people. In some cases, though, these networks used the same statements interchangeably, but differed as to who each one applied to and at what time. It's too easy to view these acts out of context with the other events that culminated in its result. For over three years, as anger-fueled feud had been spewing its hatred and antagonism into the American culture. Accusations, threats, mounting stories of collusion and conspiracy had filled our daily news feeds. What had begun as a brutal and contested election spiraled into an epic exchange of insults, accusations, and threats. Careers were destroyed. Reputations were impugned. Suspicious deaths occurred, and collateral damage spread throughout all the branches, services, and administrations of our federal government. Sides were chosen and, and participants recruited. Then, rather than finding opportunities to agree and serve their constituents, these opponents immersed themselves in strategies designed to do nothing other than destroy their opposition. The only common element identified between the two sides of the argument was an impressive and overwhelming display of arrogance and pride. Each was doing everything possible to make sure that the entire list of their grievances was made prominent and heard by any and all that were listening. Each used similar justification for their position, and each described their opponent in the most demeaning manner possible in a civilized society. While obvious illegal activities appear to have been participated in by both sides, the heat of their anger demanded that we excuse one and punish the other. Whether or not this degree of viciousness and self-centered arrogance had existed in the past, it's, it's fair to conclude that it had never previously become so visible and apparent. As many on both sides of the argument have concluded, the duty to serve the people they have been elected to represent appears to have been temporarily set aside in favor of either protecting established power bases or reclaiming previously lost territory. As a result, our culture has entered a twilight zone where leadership is defined by screaming insults and threatening allegations. And we, the people, are left behind in the dust of these exaggerated egos and inflated self-opinions. Folks, this is not what leaders are called to do. This is not what leadership is about. Rather, it seems that individuals are more engaged in building self-centered empires instead of being committed to selfless acts of service. This should no longer be tolerated. Regardless of the side of the aisle they represent, our leaders must begin to understand the expectations and responsibilities they are called to embrace. Perhaps it's time that we attempt 
to reject the self-centeredness that is so easy to embrace and start seeking the true humility that leadership demands. It's important to understand, however, that our leaders are those that we have chosen to follow. It is possible that we are simply or that they are simply doing what we've asked them and elected them to do. You see, the more distressing and significant part of what we are seeing played out on the national news is that these leaders are freely elected by a majority of voters. In other words, in most cases, these leaders were elected by voters who were more concerned with the promises their potential leaders were making than they were with the character of those who were doing the promising. Regrettably, excuse me, regrettably, this desire to elect leaders that feed our baser natures rather than challenge our potential for greatness is continuing and evident in the current election cycle. It's a temptation in us that needs to be fought against. Gone are the leaders like John F. Kennedy who challenged us to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Or Ronald Reagan who warned us that peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Gone are men like Harry Truman who once stated, America was not built on fear. America was built on courage, on imagination, and on unbeatable determination to do the job at hand. Or like men like Teddy Roosevelt, who inspired us with declarations like, we must dare to be great. We must realize that greatness is the fruit of toil and sacrifice and high courage. Far too often those that would lead seek to be elected by promising us things we think we need or deserve instead of inspiring us with what we could accomplish or become. Instead of reminding us of our potential for greatness, these prospective leaders remind us of how we've been taken advantage of and, and promise retaliation against our abusers. Our abusers. While in the past, our leaders spoke to us of our responsibilities, our duties, and our possibilities, today's prospective leaders highlight how we've been used and offended. Instead of showing us how to grow and prosper, they promise us restitution for our pain and reparations for those who have more than we do. Instead of challenging us to accomplish greatness, they simply promise us free stuff. This cycle of self-interest is a never-ending circle of promises, failures, critics, and newly heralded champions that appeals more to our comfort than our legacy. It's produced a dearth of genuine leadership and threatens our future effectiveness as a nation and as individuals. We must shake off this willingness to be bribed by those we place in charge. We must determine to use our own personal lifestyle as examples that demand a return to honor and dignity. We must refuse any further temptation to further denigrate ourselves by being manipulated through our attraction to promises. These devastating failures of leadership in our country 
have motivated us to begin several episodes of battle leadership, where we will be examining the difference between arrogance and humility. This will be a determined effort to aid us in identifying leaders with character and avoiding leaders with issues. In the episodes that follow, we're going to work hard at identifying ways to both change our attitudes about leadership and how to identify those that exemplify leadership character. We're going to begin this journey with the understanding that, number one, arrogant leadership sees opposition as threatening, while humble leaders listen and learn from those that oppose them. You see, arrogance always operates from the viewpoint that its position is the only appropriate position. It believes that it clearly understands what is needed and what needs to occur. It's truly shocked that anyone would dare to question the obvious rightness of their position. As a result of this self-confidence, they are equally convinced that disagreement with them represents a real threat and a danger that needs to be struck down. This tendency towards arrogance is the death knell of any true leader. In order to overcome this debilitating tendency, we need to think of yourselves or ourselves, uh, uh, this inability, or in order to overcome this debilitating tendency to think of yourself as superior, it's necessary to make some very important commitments, and I want to talk about them this morning. Number one, the first commitment that we need to make is a commitment to examine the motives and attitudes that have caused us to reach the conclusions that we have reached. You must determine to understand that any inability to question your own motives, positions, and prejudice as opposed to those of others, inherently promotes an arrogant and narcissistic personality. It inflates the opinions you have about yourself. It also keeps you from learning from anyone whose opinions you've disqualified. Past experiences, social influences, and partial inflammation will produce prejudices and opinions that limit us from seeing the whole picture. You see, the truth is, that we believe what we have may be the appropriate one for the, the truth that we believe we have may be the appropriate one for the limited information we possess, but completely wrong or inadequate in light of all that needs to be understood. We, only, we may only know the truth that's appropriate to what's immediately in front of us rather than understanding the scope of the entire picture. This principle is highlighted by the Clint Eastwood quote we shared in the last episode, where he said, I'm interested in the fact that the less secure a man is, the more likely he is to have extreme prejudice. You know, we have to ask ourselves, if the prejudice we have towards the conclusions that we have reached are the result or is the result of nothing more than our ignorances and our own insecurities and the need to protect ourselves from others finding those insecurities out. Failure to submit yourself to intense self-examination allows negative prejudices to thrive. 
When you decide you have answers for everything, any question that doesn't fit your preconceived perspectives and prejudices simply ceases to exist. Because of this fact, the most dangerous leaders in history were those that determined that their positions were the most valid. They became so enamored with what they saw as right, they felt justified in destroying anyone who disagreed with them. This arrogant attitude of self-righteousness is what fed the three crusades which devastated the Holy Land in the 11th century. It fed the total annihilation of a people and culture by Stalin in Eastern Europe and, and by Hitler in Western Europe. And it fueled the genocide of the Tutsi in Rwanda in the 1990s. The fact is that none of us have complete understanding of what is occurring and what is yet to occur. The truth is that the wisest among us are often the most uncertain. They acknowledge their ignorance and insufficiency, and as a result, move carefully and humbly before taking action that could damage those that disagree. You see, the ability to examine and question yourself only occurs when we are sincere about our need for someone greater and wiser to guide us in our attitudes and actions. In short, it's imperative that we humble ourselves under the realization that we honestly only have part of the truth. We need to have faith that God will use others to provide the parts that we are missing. You know, it's become popular to tag people of faith as the originators of arrogance and intractability. But the reality is that true religion is an act of humility and reverence, and will never use its position as a weapon to bludgeon its opponent. Those who do otherwise are not doing it out of a conviction of faith, but the arrogance of self-righteousness. You see, being convinced of your rightness always results in you seeing yourself as superior to everyone else. Being willing to admit your failures and weaknesses always produces growth and impact. We've got to understand that the most destructive force a leader must conquer is his own opinion. And that brings us to the second commitment and decision that needs to be made. Commitment number two. I must commit myself to never prohibiting anyone the opportunity to speak into my life. There's a conventional wisdom that you must keep negative people from impacting your life. This typically is interpreted as meaning anyone who questions what you think or how you act. These individuals are supposed to be viewed as being able to negatively impact our happiness and self-image. They are to be avoided at all costs. Here again, the truth is that we are never going to remain uh, stagnant and happy at the same time. True happiness and self-esteem are the result of learning and growth. Allowing disagreement and challenge to impact our lives is the only way we can truly become better at who we are. When we limit our social circles to only those that agree with and endorse us, we immediately stop learning and eventually become inbred and irrelevant. Ignorance is the decision to stop learning whatever there is that you don't know. It results in opinions founded in partial understanding 
and incomplete information. As example, when you possess the truth that the world is flat, you refuse to consider that there are horizons you have never experienced. You also limit your opportunity to experience anything outside of your limited frame of reference. When Magellan determined to circumnavigate the globe in 1519, he did so in the face of significant opposition from those that knew the earth was flat, and at its edge dragons waited for unwary mariners. While the intellectual elite, his social peers, determined that the world was flat, illiterate seamen, his social inferiors, knew by experience that it was not. They'd experienced the ability to see beyond the horizon by simply elevating their perspective. They understood that the horizon was not an edge, but the curvature of the earth that hid what had gone beyond and what was yet to come. Unfortunately, here again, this propensity towards ignorance has often been laid at the feet of the devout and those that profess the desire to please God. But the truth is that those that earnestly are committed to seeking God and his direction for their lives do so out of a realization that they do not have all the answers. They understand that their very faith is the result of pursuing the mysteries of the God they serve. Ignorance of truth is the result of arrogance that seeks to defend a position or an opinion that they have accepted, rather than seeking to know what they don't understand. These arrogant and opinionated people are not leaders. They're destructive roadblocks that inhibit growth and destroy opportunities. And that brings us to the third and final commitment for today, which is really the heart of what leaders are supposed to be committed to be doing. Commitment number three, I will commit to identifying with and showing compassion to everyone I can in order to influence most effectively those that I impact every day. We must understand the truth is something given to us to set people free. It's not intended to be used to demean or correct. It is intended to offer hope and encouragement. Unfortunately, the desire to get agreement often becomes more important than the person you are disagreeing with. When this happens, you have failed as a leader. You see, a true leader does not strive to get people to agree with him. He struggles to find ways of serving them. Arrogance automatically defeats quality leadership because it repels honest and industrious people from following. If nobody wants to follow, then you're not leading, you're just being obnoxious. Typically, the only thing arrogance can do to attract followers is to find ways to convince others that they've been abused and taken advantage of and need someone to free them from their tyranny. The 11th century popes used the justification of freeing Jerusalem from the infidels to fuel the crusades. Stalin used the Russian aristocracy as enemies of the state. Hitler demonized the Jewish race, and the Hutu used religion in the genocide of the Tutsi. Arrogance does not produce leadership. It only promotes anger, hurt, and death. 
An early disciple of Jesus once stated, true spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of orphans and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. As we begin this process of differentiating between arrogance and humility, it will be important to understand that those who question or challenge us are not our enemies. Rather, they are opportunities to refine what we believe and prove its effectiveness by the example that we set. While arrogance repels hum others, humility is very attractive, and it produces positive results in the lives exposed to it. Join us in the following episodes as we continue on this journey. If you've enjoyed this, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for Battle Leadership Podcast. I look forward to seeing you in our next installment of Battle Leadership.